You know a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. And a dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes, trying to learn from what's behind and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle uh, just to stay between the shore. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Maxwell Ivy, known around the world as The Blind Blogger, and this is another episode of What's Your Excuse, where I bring you interviews with people who have overcome adversity or thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, people who have uh, real-world real world actionable advice for you to help you accomplish your goals, people who have struck out on their own and started unique businesses, or people who I just happen to like, admire, and want to know more about myself. And you can find the show at theblindblogger.net. And since I've been hearing this online a lot this week, I want y'all to know I'm recording this. This is March 24th. I'm in my bedroom in Conroe, Texas. Me and my, to my whole family are, are totally fine. We're surviving the corona thing as well as can be expected. And in fact, considering that I did podcasts and podcast interviews a long time before I ever did public speaking, or started writing. This is kind of like going back home for me to do more podcasts. So I'm really happy today. I have, um, have an interesting guest with me because he combines a couple of things that are just on the surface, you would think. Maybe those don't go together. And, and, and of course they do because he's been so successful at it. Uh, his name is David Bloom. He is the owner of Dr. Clue Treasure Hunts. He runs the world's largest team building treasure hunt company out there and they've done treasure hunts all over the world for hundreds of companies many of them you would know if I named them but uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother you with the whole list um, he has a bachelor's degree in English from Pomona College uh, certification from IPEC that's a coaching organization that trains coaches and uh, past president of the local Toastmasters uh, you can find him at uh, drlclue.com and I'm really happy to have you on the show. Welcome David to What's Your Excuse. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Well it's great to have you here and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, exactly where this goes because uh, I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with my background but I, uh, I grew up in the, uh, in the carnival business. I started helping people sell amusement equipment in the early 2000s and one of the things I wanted my website to be was to be um, inclusive and global. So I have reached out to people in a lot of different areas that people wouldn't have thought would be related to my website. And I have to confess, treasure hunts is not one of those things I would have thought of, but I have talked to a lot of people who do team building. So uh, why don't you tell us, what was the one thing that made you decide and realize that this was the thing you were going to be doing from now on? This was the thing you've been looking for. Well, it was an interesting process. I actually, it was part accidental and part intentional. I started out uh, looking, oh, I was probably in my uh, early 30s when I thought, oh, I'd like to start a business, but I don't know what. And I was searching around, searching around. I had been doing job development. And so I thought, okay, maybe I could start a business helping people practice their interviews, prepare resumes and get jobs. But it wasn't really exciting me. And so I was brainstorming with a friend and he said, well, why don't you go back and figure out what, it, what is exciting to you and see if you can break it down into three things. 
So I thought about it over a week, came back to him and said, what I really love to do is travel. I love to uh, play uh, games and, and, and uh, do puzzles. And I love working with people, working with groups. And I had some background in all of these things. And uh, so we were saying, well, you can't make a living off of that, surely. But then, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, it doesn't sound like it. But uh, then we sort of recalled that I had been on a large treasure hunt, treasure hunt, scavenger hunt, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that I'd really enjoyed that. And, and it really came down to, well, if I did that, maybe I could combine all my three interests and bring them all together because I would be, uh, especially if I was working uh, in team building, I could be working with groups and I could be writing puzzles and creating games and I could uh, be paid to travel. So it, it ended up being the perfect uh, profession to combine my passions and I still didn't quit my day job for five years before this finally took off. But uh, ever since then, it, it really hasn't felt like work. Yeah, well, a couple of things I noticed there. One is it turns out you, you, you have gotten to use your bachelor in English that you probably wondered when that was ever going to come in. And two, you didn't quit your day job because I think a lot of people get to get frustrated when their side hustle isn't coming along quick enough to free them from the job they don't really want to go to. Absolutely. Yeah. So you did a, you work in your regular job for five years. Um, what was the first uh, treasure hunt that you put on and um, exactly how, how big a deal was that for you? Well, there were a few that were for free pro bono. The yeah. first one was a bicycle treasure hunt in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. And I did it for a bike club because I was in a bike club at the time. And I did it for them and got very positive response. Then a friend of a friend said, could you do it for our, for our, uh, for the young adult group at our temple? And so I said, sure. So that was fine. And so I did that. And then someone on the actual hunt came up to me afterwards and said, this was great. Could you do it for my law firm? And that was how I got my first paying gig. Yeah. Uh, so you did pro bono. You worked for free. And me, I've worked for free before I, before I started uh, charging to get people booked on podcasts. Um, why do you think it is people are so afraid of or so reluctant to do stuff for free to, uh, to, to get themselves started nowadays? Well, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if there's some kind of <laughs> Oh, we don't Special. expect we don't expect perfect answers. We just like to ask the questions and see where they go. Well, I, I expect that people are are more and more impatient until <laughs> so they have a shorter yeah. attention span. They they get an idea and think that they're entitled to be making money and get rich quick. I suppose, uh, but uh, I found that almost everything is just sort of a slow build. You uh, you you create what they call in. Uh, in uh, the agile world, a minimal, uh, minimal viable uh, project or minimal viable, uh, what do they call it? I can't remember exactly, uh, uh, prototype. And you create something that, uh, and then you try it out, and then you try it out, and you try it out, and you keep on getting more and more feedback. The great thing is that as you're trying it out, the people who are testing it will also give you testimonials if they like it. So you start to be able to collect uh, you know, some proof of 
product or uh, proof of the quality of the thing. And then eventually, uh, when you feel like it's great, it's got all the juice, uh, then you put it out a little bit more broadly. But it's, uh, you know, I think people want, you know, I think they just extrapolate. If I love it, the whole world must love it. And I've seen all these people on MTV who are making it quick, uh, so, you know, so, so fast. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. My experience has just been that you build it slowly, you keep on testing it, you keep on getting testimonials, and then eventually uh, you put it out there more broadly and, and then you feel like you're excited to say it's ready to go. But th that isn't to say that I, would, I, won't, I haven't put out things uh, that, I, that are still in, in the works because uh, by the time that someone actually books it, I'll, I'll have some time to, to perfect it. And that's what I was going to get to next is um, when you did your first few treasure hunts, did you have the feeling that you had done uh, really good work or did you have the feeling of uh, until I get the reviews, I'm not going to know if this was, if this was a train wreck or if this was something people will write testimonials about. How did you feel about it when you did that first one for the bike club? Well, I had the advantage of having seen a treasure hunt because these things happen for public events, you know, they're, they're out there. So I had seen one and my strong feeling was, this is great. I can do it better. You know, how many people have said that, right? So I, I had a strong feeling of, I knew what format looked like. I felt like I could do it better. And so I felt pretty confident about it, actually, for whatever reason, uh, I was well suited for this. And, uh, you know, I, I had been a tour guide in the past and I'd been a, resident advisor in school and I'd worked with groups and I'd been writing my whole life. And I just had a feeling that this was going to be really great. And at least for that small group, my, uh, my bike group, I felt like they were really going to like it. I, I wasn't really nervous about it. Uh, it wasn't until later when I actually met some other, uh, some other people who do this and uh, who uh, sort of took it to the next level and helped me to, uh, improve the program, improve the puzzles and the clues. It wasn't until later that I realized uh, how great it could be. Uh, but I thought even right from the beginning, I thought it was still pretty great. I see. What are, what are a couple of things that maybe you did with those? Uh, well, uh, that first treasure hunt you did was for a bike, was for a bike club. It was a organization that you were part of and probably, uh, probably accepted in the group. Did that make it easier to do the first one because you knew you were among friends? Yeah, I think so. They they all they all want me to succeed. They haven't put any money down, so they don't have any expectations. <laughs> perfect. You know, you you say, hey, listen, this is a beta test. Uh, let's all have fun. Give me feedback afterwards. So I I wasn't really nervous. Um, I guess I sort of operate in that way that I never expect anything to be perfect. The, you know, the first time. So I just put it out there. It's like throwing a frisbee and. If, you know, hopefully people will catch it. All I can do is make my best throw, but uh, at least I'll learn from, from whatever mistakes. So, but I had a friendly audience. Uh, I, I felt pretty good that they were, they were going to be kind. Yeah. Would you say that the, the, that's something that perhaps somebody that's starting a, starting as a public speaker or somebody that's starting a podcast might want to look for is, is a friendly audience for those first few talks or those first few episodes? Yeah, I think so. I think that, it's like anything you, you need to, to start and feel encouraged. You need to have uh, enough, I think at the beginning, more encouragement than, than tough love. But as you move along, you're going to need the, uh, 
the the critical uh, you know the critical feedback. Absolutely, I think you know you start you start slow in a safe environment. You get some some praise, and it makes you feel encouraged and positive. Uh, that's the hardest part is just to uh, to to get out of your way and say. Uh, uh, I can do this and I, and I want to do this. And, and then, uh, but then as time goes along, of course, you can't just surround yourself with those people or you won't actually create something excellent. Right. Right. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get at what made you or what makes you so, uh, so confident because um, uh, with most of my audience, it's all about the starting. Um, it's about the feelings of not being good enough or not worthy or um, this, because it's that person, that individual who's failed many times before, it's uh, this can't be a success. So I was just trying to see if I couldn't get at some of the things that helped you start this uh, project of, your, of yours and make it as successful as it has been. Well, it's been 25 years, so it is a little bit hard for me to remember the, those early <laughs> days. You know, I started the business in 1995. I was in my 30s. But, you know... If you start a business and it's built on the things that you love and the things that you know you're pretty good at, it really helps a lot. If you're trying to develop your uh, develop from scratch and say, okay, I'm going to be a, a professional basket weaver and you've never basket weaved before, it's a little bit harder. Uh, but uh, there, I don't know. I, I, I knew, you know, I've been sort of a fan of this kind of thing since I was a kid. You know, I've, I've always been a, a huge fan of anything having to do with, with spies and mysteries and treasure hunts. You know, all of those movies, I watched them. And it wasn't until later when I actually started doing this, I said, wow, this, this is, you know, I can trace this back to, to my childhood. I used to make mazes when I was a kid. Uh, I used to uh, do crossword puzzles with my dad. And so uh, I, I, and I've loved travel. I, I, uh, by the time I started this business, I'd already been to 35 countries. So uh, I, you know, I, I, I had a strong feeling, but uh, if I were to go back and, to, and meet my 25 uh, years ago self, probably I had some butterflies, probably, but uh, I don't know. This, this didn't seem like the stakes were very high. I'm, I've got this thing that I think is, that is going to be really fun. I've got a pretty good idea of how it's going to work. Let's just put it out there and have some fun. What was harder was when I had to go ask for money. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me let me let me recap before we get into the money because that's one of the hard things we all struggle with, or at least I still do. So just like the old writing cliche, if you want to know what to write about, write what you know. So uh, if you're going to start a business, it really helps if it's something you know, something you have passion about, or something you at least have curiosity about. And um, my first business on my own was helping people sell used carnival rides, which trust me is a tough way to make a living. But it wasn't too far from my original background. It was something I had done, something I had an interest in. So I think that's a good thing. And uh, before I get to this next, we get to this next section about money is uh, I want you uh, just to remind y'all, I'm speaking with David Bloom. He's the president and founder of Dr. Clue, uh, the world's largest treasure hunt team building organization. And you can find him at drlclue.com. So, uh, when you, when you had to make that first ask, if you don't mind saying, what kind of money are we talking about? Roughly, well, you know, I mean. I, 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 was, I had no idea how to price it because that's the hardest thing. 
So I actually took my original friend, the one who I had brainstormed with, and I took him down to this law firm uh, because I did not feel confident at all <laughs> negotiating <laughs> my first time out. He was already an entrepreneur. So the two of us went in and uh, I asked uh, the client, you know, they said, so how much is this? And I said, I said, it's uh, $1,150. And they said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I and I almost uh, my jaw almost dropped because I couldn't believe someone was going to pay me over a thousand dollars for this. And I remember when we walked out, I looked at, turned to my friend Scott and I said, "Scott, what just happened there?" And he said, it, "It's not usually that easy." <laughs> that was it. Yeah, usually when it's that e usually when it's that easy, it means that the price you quoted them was much less than they were expecting it to be. They were definitely expecting more. This was a uh, intellectual property law firm. I'm sure they could have, they could have uh, done more. But uh, for me, the first one, just the fact that I asked for something that to me seemed high and above, because uh, again, I, I probably was not valuing it as high as I could. And they said, yes. So that was uh, very encouraging. Well, I, I like what you did there. You realized you weren't good at pricing. So you went and talked to an entrepreneur who was a friend of yours who was good at pricing. And while you still missed the first time out, we we're all going to miss that first time you're probably a lot closer than, than most people are going to be. So uh, did you, but you felt good about it, right? I mean. I felt great. I was ecstatic. Yeah. So, you know, we appreciate when they pay us. And then we, then after we realize, um, you know, that our price wasn't anywhere near our value, then we can always raise our prices later, you know? So um, what is your, what was your most, um, and so do you, did you, have you also had trouble with, the spending side of money or is it, was it just the pricing yourself and making the first few asks? Well, spending is always really tricky, isn't it? Uh, it depends on how you price it, of course. Uh, but yeah, you know, in my business, I might go ahead and spend a lot of money preparing for a program for a hundred people. And then they, at the last second, they say, Oh, I'm sorry, there's only going to be 50 people. And then you've got a lot of extra materials. And sometimes you can use them again, sometimes you can't. This really came to a head last fall. I did a program for the Cincinnati Bengals professional football team, and we were expecting about 1,200 people. It was a customer uh, appreciation event. On the day of the event, I found out that only 500 people were going to show up. So I had a wow. huge amount of marketing materials and, and preparation and so on that, unfortunately, uh, I just had to treat as a lost leader. But that's uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, I, I, there have been things that I spent money on. It's like, why did I spend money on that? I, you know, but then other things were, you know, I, I bought a lot of swag early on, and I'm still using that swag. So I'm actually glad I bought it. Yeah, we always buy too much swag in the beginning. We always think we're going to sell more of it, or, or people are going to want to get more of it than 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 actually is the case. So, um but you had almost three times as much stuff as you needed for that event last fall. And, I did. Uh, yeah. So just, just for anybody who doesn't already know, what is a loss leader? And did you, did this event at least result in some additional work off of all that un unnecessary expense? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't know the exact definition of loss leader, except that occasionally you just, you spend more money than you expected and you just treat it as that is money invested in my own learning. <laughs> it's, it, it didn't, it, it, it's a shame that I spent that money. 
I had uh, extra facilitators that I didn't end up needing, but it's just a lesson and an education and you just write it off and say, that's okay. And you know, uh, I like that. That's, that's a much more positive answer than I was going to give you. So, <laughs> um, well, you know, I yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, generally, generally a lost leader is something you do on purpose. You price something below what it costs you to sell or make it so that you can generate additional attention or exposure and hopefully make additional or future sales. My favorite example was when the guys who ran Hello Deli next to David Letterman's studio um, said they were gonna start selling hot chocolate during the winter for like five cents or something. And their, their profits increased off the chart because people would come in for the almost free hot chocolate and they would have to buy something else or two or three something else before they left the store, so. Yeah, I've done lots of free programs over the years uh, for exactly that reason. And I've, I'm sure that I could have priced this program for the Bengals uh, for uh, a, a bit higher. But, it w but I knew that I was going to get something good out of it, which I did, which was I knew I was going to get a really excellent video out of it. And that's yes. what I want. Yes. And so yeah. and we, we did. So uh, yeah, that was I wanted this to be the calling card that I could take to other professional teams in in uh, not only in football but baseball and basketball and hockey and I'd be able to say this is not only this is what I've done for this uh, professional team but also here's a video so you can see exactly what it was all about and and for me that was worth, worth its weight in gold and I was very confident that was going to happen yeah and of course besides the professional sports teams some of the college teams have bigger budgets than some of the pro teams and okay. are more willing to spend their money so I could see it being a benefit beyond the pro sports uh, circuit. But the one thing I loved what you just said there is you knew that it was going to lead to something good for you. And one of the things I talk about a lot is we have to decide that we're going to find the positive. And if we decide that in advance, it will show up because we will just look for it till we find it. And I really appreciate you sharing that because that's a, it's one thing if I say it, it's another thing if somebody like you says it. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So now I'm going to get in trouble if I don't ask you this next question because, uh, well, basically because it's on everybody else's mind. Um, the, the Corona issue, it's, it's had a big effect on the sports and entertainment worlds. Uh, every carnival in the country is closed. Every amusement park is closed. Stock shows, rodeos, um, even small family entertainment centers that have capacities of only 15 or 20 kids at a time are closed. So how is it affecting your business and how are you, how are you dealing with it? How are you staying? Cause you, you seem like a very uh, positive middle of the road, even keel kind of person. So how are you managing? Well, interestingly, I do have some clients who are just optimistic and they are still booking things a couple of months from now. Uh, and I, I hope that works out. I have uh, had a client uh, book a program today for October uh, feeling that it'll be better by then. But uh, that hasn't been my approach. Actually, I can't, I wouldn't say that I saw this coming, but I saw an opportunity about a year ago to start doing online treasure hunts, to do remote team virtual treasure hunts that could be done on Zoom calls. And over the last year, I started developing these. I started doing beta tests and I hadn't actually, I'd done a bunch of beta tests. I hadn't actually sold one until, uh, until uh, this all came down, it's like all of a sudden I was like, boy, am I glad I've been working on this because this might be the pivot that I want to go in the direction of. And so that's where I'm spending my effort right now is to, uh, to, to 
introduce this to my past clients and prospects and say, when you're ready, because right now everybody is scrambling to get used to their new situation, working remotely, and they're not necessarily thinking about doing a team building event. But I think over time, people are going to understand how important it is to keep these people who are working virtually on the same page, to build their morale, to help them release stress, and just to help them feel connected with camaraderie or rapport. And so I think that as time goes along, people are going to say, we need to do something fun. We're craving to do something that's not just virtual meetings. And they're going to, and that's when I hope to be positioned. Uh, I, I booked one for next month, so I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm getting some requests. But that's uh, the direction that I'm going uh, during this time is just to take what I do externally out in the world, bring it into these Zoom meetings and, uh, and WebEx and so on, and hopefully uh, give them a collective group experience that they're craving. Right. I'm, I'm sure you've had to deal with some cancellations and uh, expenses laid out for those expected events sure. that haven't happened. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's been uh, some cancellations, of course, some flight cancellations. Uh, I still have a, I have some programs scheduled for next month that I expect will be canceled. They haven't canceled yet, but that was, you know, that was my first thought back in January when this started was, okay, we're going to have to pivot quickly because uh, these outdoor programs, these group programs, they could go away quickly. And, and of course they have. And, you know, I consider myself fairly well uh, informed person, but I can honestly say I did not see the reports about Corona back in January as they were coming out in other parts of the world. It was starting to starting to be, be mentioned before, before the big outbreak in Wuhan, China, I did not see it coming. I did not hear it coming and I consider myself pretty well informed. So I'm, I'm just uh, in awe that you were able to see it coming far enough in advance that you actually started developing a, a new way to deliver your service so that your business for the most part won't be interrupted. And who knows, you may even turn, it may even, you may end, even end up better off when this is all over with because the virtual treasure hunts may allow you to put on more events in more countries without the, without the overhead that you would have for an in-person event. Yeah, that absolutely may be the case. Uh, you know, fingers crossed on that. Uh, you know, time will tell. Actually what brought this attention, uh, my attention to this was my brother uh, was planning on going on a trip to Vietnam. And I, th I think it was back in December. He was, his trip was going to be in February. And I remember when I heard about what was going on in Wuhan, China, I, I said to my brother, you know, Vietnam has a border with China. Are you aware of this very contagious virus that's happening? And he hadn't even heard about it. He, I just seen a report. And then, uh, so I, I, I knew about this back in last year, but I didn't know, of course it was going to, become what it's become and, and expand out here. But uh, certainly as it became more evident, it was going to spread. Uh, I was, uh, I could see the writing on the wall for my business. And so I, uh, I said, okay, I've been working on this, this virtual treasure hunt for a while. Let's put this uh, on the fast track. Yep. And I think that's uh, a perfect example of something that coaches talk to me about all the time is the difference between working at your business or working on it. Because a lot of business owners get so far into the day-to-day -day operations of their business that they don't have the time and energy to see something like that coming and to be preparing uh, 
you know, an additional aspect to their business like you did. Well, thank you. Actually, I was very involved at the time and I was, I'd, uh, had gotten some work uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies and I was working on a, a treasure hunt at their stadium and I was working away and I had just finished it and I was sending it off to them and saying, here, I, I need to do a play test. And then, uh, and then I said, Oh, wait a second. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I plan on going back to them a year from now, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't well, know. I just- I'm, I can't say that I have a crystal ball on these things that I'm, that I can see the trends ahead of time, but uh when, when your, your business survival depends on it, you have to be ready to pivot, that's for sure. Right. Well, I think I, I'm just curious. You, how do you stay so upbeat and positive? I mean, uh, you really are coming across as, as somebody, this is your natural way of being talking to me today. I'm, just, I'm sure there's some people are going to be wondering, how is he doing that, during, especially now? Well, I think that you have to work on it. And I, ca- I cannot say that this is my natural way of being. I've worked on it pretty hard. I come from a family of uh, a, a lot of people that are borderline depressive. So perhaps my role in the family was to jolly everybody out of their moods. That, oh. that you know, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, what, I, and, you know, I, I can't say that I haven't had my, my hard times. I think that what I do have, fortunately, is a a, a many year practice in meditation, and uh, I and I and I knew when th- this all started with COVID nineteen that there were going to be some tough times, and I had to take care of my body and my mind, uh, you know, with extra attention. So I've been meditating for about twenty years, and I knew that I cannot miss one day of meditation because things I'll be more stressed and I'll have my mind will be busier and I'll worry more and everything will get to me more if I don't meditate. I also realized that I needed to exercise uh, more regularly than I already was. And so uh, now uh, there's regular exercise that happens. Um, And uh, it helps a lot if you're also uh, eating well. I've been vegan for about uh, seven and yeah, about seven years now. So I have a lot of healthy food coming into my system. And so you, you basically try and, and take care of, of your, your health and your, and your mind and your spirit. Uh, it's, it's absolutely crucial in in this time, uh, in order to be able to handle, uh, you know, the dark thoughts that occasionally arise. Yeah. What is one thing you would tell people who uh, understand that they need to meditate, but they, they get, they're just not exactly sure how to proceed or, or they get hung up in the process? What is one thing about meditation you can tell people? Well, that's a good question. Ordinarily, I would have said, go do a meditation retreat and get taught. But of course, now uh, <laughs> don't want to be in the same room <laughs> with other people <laughs> sitting or not. Uh, I would say probably that it, the mindfulness can take a lot of different forms. For some people, going for a run is mindfulness. You know, for other people, doing yoga is mindfulness. So having a mindfulness uh, practice of any kind is going to be helpful. I would probably say in terms of meditation, just get one of those apps. I think there's one called Calm or something like that. And just let the app walk you through it, you know, because it's very difficult to try and learn how to meditation just by, on your own or even by a book. 
but these apps are, are fantastic. So I would say probably that would be the first thing that I would do. And then, uh, you know, there's so many resources online, but, uh, you know, fi- first, first find a, a mindfulness routine and start slow. If you're, if you're going to sit down and try meditation, try it for a minute, you know, work up, you know, uh, I do about 20 minutes a day. It's, uh, which is very comfortable and easy for me. Now it didn't used to be, I didn't think that I could sit for that long, but, uh, you start slow a minute here, eventually work your way up to five minutes, use an app. And I think you'll get there. All right. And in these times, uh, are you, are you a reader? Uh, you watch videos? Where, where do you get your information? What are some of the, some of the things that you're, that you're taking into your mind these days to help keep on the, help keep balanced? Well, I am somewhat of an addictive uh, person when it comes to podcasts. And so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts with the news and with, political news and things of that sort. The first thing I do in the morning is I download my daily podcasts and I listen to them. And, uh, on the other hand, you do have to balance how much of news that you're taking in because it can uh, scare you. It can, it can bum you out. So uh, I, have, uh, I have limited, uh, I don't listen to the full range of podcasts I used to, uh, that's for sure. But I, I do love podcasts for, for information and I, I throw in a couple of entertaining ones from uh, NHK, or excuse me, from uh, from uh, NPR, which is great. Yeah, NHK. I have no idea what NHK is, but um, that's the Japanese news station, actually. <laughs> but I used oh, to... Okay. All right. So, uh, well, other than that, uh, I like to uh, read. I have a goal right now of reading a book a week, so I try to read a, a book a week. And and I can't say that they're all, you know, self help or I I love reading fiction, and I'm I'm reading. I read a lot of sci fi, a lot of fantasy. I've, I just finished a couple of books that were fantastic. And then, uh, and then I also, uh, I, I like everyone else. I watch Netflix, Amazon. I have my little range of shows that I watch and some, some combination of, uh, of reading and podcast and, uh, and television. And then, uh, I have a, a very wonderful wife who uh, every single day says, let's go for a walk. And she absolutely insists that we walk one hour every day, which of course is not sheltering in place, but you know, we walk in, in quiet parts of our neighborhood, but one hour a day and that helps as well. Yeah, and back to what you said about your books, not all being self-help, that there are some nonfiction, or some fiction. Uh, I personally believe that a lot of people would be better off if they mixed in more fiction with their nonfiction because well, I well, I know that a Snickers is not good for me. Every so often, I'd rather have it than than the green vegetables I know I'm supposed to be eating. You know, and they make me feel better. And at times like this, uh, a good dose of Tom Clancy or uh, or J- or or Tolkien uh, or Cussler or even J.D. Robb, you know, can be very dis- distracting and I think even provide a little lift to your energy level. Yeah, I I really feel like it, and the trick is to uh, to to try and balance it because it it's very tempting. I think that people discover a lot about themselves and how they react to stress in situations like this. You know, some people will be tempted to to climb into bed, pull the covers over their head, and just hide from the world. Other people will react uh, with with anger, shaking their fists at the world. Other people will. Uh, uh, react with a uh, uh, worry, 
a huge amount of worry and anxiety. And so you learn a lot about yourself. Uh, you, uh, some people will react through uh, trying to uh, numb themselves, particularly through, uh, through food and drink. A lot, of, uh, a lot of people that will overeat during this period, for sure. And so I try and make sure that I don't act out on, on, my, uh, on my stress by just reflexively going to the fridge. So, you know, you have to sort of constantly, that's why the mindfulness is so helpful when you, when you see yourself reflexively doing something that you know you're going to regret. You're, you're, you can be, you have a little buffer before you can, before you act on it. Yeah. Now, do y'all have any pets? Because I find, I, I, I really miss my, my crazy mutt dog Penny because I find, or I used to, used to find that she was my best mindfulness coach out of, out of anything I, out of any person I knew, you know? Yeah, I uh, I have a cat. We have okay. a fifteen pound Maine Coon cat, and uh, she is got lots of personality. That's for sure. So we uh, we spend a lot of time with her. But I used to have a dog, and I do miss my dog. Uh, he was a uh, a rescue greyhound from the racetracks, and you know, so he was this seventy pound dog who could run like the wind and slept all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what dogs do. They don't they don't think about should and should not a lot. If they feel like doing something, they're going to try to do it. And unless their owner or their human restrains them, they're going to succeed at doing it, or they're maybe going to break something while trying. That's just, that's just yeah, the way they are. But at least they will look to you and say, is this okay? Whereas a cat <laughs> says, I'm the boss here. I'm doing what I want. It's very different. Oh, you didn't know our dog then, because nothing was ever not okay for Penny. <laughs> yeah. My greyhound, yeah. he slept all day. The greyhounds, I could go on and on about greyhounds and how they, uh, uh, once they get rescued from the racetrack, all they want to do is sleep. They are the biggest couch potatoes in the world. They can run 45 miles an hour, but they would just prefer to, to sleep 20 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you said that now uh, I think I asked you this in one of our emails before and I don't know. And I, and I, I'm pretty sure the answer was no, but I just want to see if maybe you give me, you've given it any thought to see if it's, if it see how difficult it would be for you. I think once I asked you if you had ever done a scout, a treasure hunt for a group of visually impaired people or a group of people with disabilities. And I'm pretty sure the answer was no, like a year ago when we, when we first exchanged emails. Yeah, no, I, I have not. Uh, I've had interesting limitations. Uh, just uh, next month, I was scheduled. It's uh, currently postponed. I was scheduled to write a hunt for a group that was half uh, American and half uh, French Canadian, and they wanted the hunt to be written bilingually. So we had to, uh, so I was in the process of, of writing two complete sets of, of, of hunts. In, uh, in French and English. I had a, a one group, which was a group that was observant, uh, Jewish and observant. They wanted to do a hunt on a Saturday, but they weren't allowed to write anything because it was uh, against the Sabbath. And right. so we were trying to figure out how can we do a hunt where they weren't allowed to actually write anything. And so we ended up coming up with this idea of, of giving the, uh, each team a, uh, a metal surface and little magnet, magnetic letters. And so they would do all the clue solving by moving magnetic letters around so that they, rather than actually writing with their hand. Yeah. Well, the, the, the San Francisco lighthouse for the blind is one of the, one of the largest uh, and most uh, 
industrious lighthouses that we have as far as creating events and activities for the visually impaired in, the, in Northern California. And uh, since you live in Northern California, if it's okay, I'd, I'd love to, to send an email and introduce you to the guy who runs their organization and see if maybe they might not want to, uh, to set something up about having a, a, a visually impaired treasure hunt, because I know they do a lot of activities like that. I would love the challenge. I mean, there's always new challenges in this business. That's what I like so much about it. So other than Corona and some of these, these examples you just mentioned, what are, what have been some of your, some of your biggest challenges with uh, creating hunts? Uh, and maybe you could mention one or two that took place outside the U S because I would imagine that makes it more difficult. It does. And it, I mean, when I get a call to do something internationally, it's very exciting. I think it's, it feels validating. Like this is the, the reason I got into this business was to be paid to go and explore exotic places and then share my discoveries with, with other people. It's very, uh, very uh, gratifying, but they do present some challenges. Uh, one is of course that uh, a lot of times if you're in a country that's not an English speaking country, you have to, uh, you know, I use locations in the area. So I'm using statues, plaques, murals, monuments, historical signs as the places that people are searching for. And if I write, do my job right, people will solve the clues and make these wonderful discoveries. However, if the sign leads to, uh, if the clue leads to a sign that's in Spanish, because you're in, in Madrid, then I have to quickly learn enough Spanish to be able to figure out what that sign is all about. But that even is not difficult, you know, if it's, if it's English or if it's uh, Spanish or if it's French, you know, I have a passing acquaintance, so I can usually figure it out. But, uh, you know, you still are in an environment where you're exploring around and you're not completely comfortable with everything. Uh, I will say that the, the biggest challenge I had, though, was when I was in Dubai. We did a, some time ago, uh, we had a, a program for ExxonMobil. They had a group of employees out there. They wanted to do a hunt all around Dubai. When I got out there, everything was good. I spent, you know, a week there putting the thing together and I felt pretty good about it. They wanted to spend a whole day. They wanted to have a morning program. Then they'd go to lunch at Planet Hollywood, which was in a uh, shopping mall. And then they would go back out and do the rest of it. And so I had this, so I had the materials for the morning hunt, uh, which I gave to them. I had the materials for the afternoon hunt in my bag. And I had this great idea. I would go to one of the clue locations and get some photographs. There was this really cool ceramic camel just outside of a hotel. Can't remember the name of the hotel. So I got there in advance. I took a cab there and I was positioned so that when teams showed up, I would get photos of them with the ceramic camel. It would be great for my marketing. Unfortunately, I left the bag of clues for the afternoon in the back of the cab. And oh. it drove. I've, I've come 10,000 miles across the world and I may have just blown the program. That, that was the most challenging moment in, in the history of this business. So how did you solve it? Well, I threw my hands up. No, I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> Well, the problem was, this was years ago. This was before cell phones. So I didn't have a cell phone, so I didn't have any way to contact them. Uh, the only thing I did have was a receipt. 
And the receipt, at the bottom of the receipt, it did say the name of the cab company. So I went into the hotel, I went to the concierge and said, could you please call this cab company, see if they can, if, if they can track down my stuff. Remarkably, they actually, after a long bit of waiting, they said, yes, we have found the driver. He's, you know, 10, 15 minutes away, 20 minutes away. He will come back and return your stuff. Unfortunately, what I didn't realize is that the traffic in Dubai is terrible. There's, there's a lot of rich people with too many cars, too many cars for the actual roads. So it took him about 45 minutes to an hour to actually come back and pick me up and then another half hour to get to Planet Hollywood. The whole time I'm like, you know, contingencies are spinning in my mind. I'm going to run to Kinko's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to print up a whole nother, another set of copies, but it, there just wasn't time. I was completely dependent on this guy. Uh, he showed up in time. He got me over to Planet Hollywood. They had just finished lunch. I walked in and said, hey, ready for, for stage two? And off we went. <laughs> and I never, I never told him that uh, what had happened. I just walked in and blithely and said, okay, you guys ready? Here we go. They said, oh, aren't you going to have some lunch? Oh, no, no, I don't need any. Oh, my goodness. That was, that yeah. was horrendous. That was very, very uh, traumatic time. Uh, my dad used to tell me, he would say, Max, in this world, there are carnival owners and there are showmen. He said, whatever you do in life, always aspire to be a showman. In that story, you were a showman. That's the highest compliment I can pay somebody. So I really appreciate you coming up with that story. That's a great story. And, I, um, you know, it, it, it sounded like you panicked a little bit, but deservedly so, considering how much you had invested in putting this event on. But it also sounds like your mind was working on some alternatives. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Uh, you know, there are people who are planners and they uh, have thought about every contingency and they plan and they have checklists and they things rarely go wrong for them because they've thought about it and planned so meticulously. However, if things do go sideways, uh, they may not be so uh, adaptable. And I'm on the other side in that, uh, you know, I like to jump into a situation and play it by ear and see what happens. And of course, I've done as much preparation as I can. But as soon as things start to go a little bit wonky, uh, my mind is already thinking of contingency, contingency, contingency. contingency. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always thinking about, okay, what could I do? It's my wife sometimes thinks, you're so negative. You're, you're, all, you're thinking of all the things that go wrong. It's like, I'm not thinking of things going wrong. Uh, you know, but if they do go wrong, I've got backup plan A, B, and C. She said, but things won't go wrong. Oh, they might. So uh, I don't know. Somehow or another, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at winging it, uh, better at winging it than I am in, in, in planning for everything. Yeah, I think if anything, I'm too far on that side of the spectrum because uh, my, my friend and editor Lorraine regularly up in Canada, she likes to say, you know, Max, you get yourself into more shit than any one person I know of, but you always manage to get yourself back out of it smelling like a rose and with a great story too. And I'm like, uh, I think some days myself included, people would be happier if I planned a little more and depended less on uh, my, my, my wits to get me through when things go wrong, you know? So uh, it's, it's, it's one of the things I love about it. You know, it's one of the reasons I like traveling so much is I just love when serendipity happens and you got to figure things out. To me, that's one of the reasons I got into this is it feels like I'm traveling in Thailand or, or, or India or something. Yeah. Just one more thing about your, your trip to uh, Dubai. 
Yeah. Um, one of the things I've noticed traveling around the country is that people rarely know much or experience much of the city they live in. When you did this thing in Dubai, did you find yourself showing these people places they hadn't been in a long time or maybe hadn't ever been to? I hope so. Uh, that is my job, really, is to to walk down every street and walk down every alley and poke my he- head into different shops and trying to find uh, what I call blue chip clue locations, things that people will be delighted by that they wouldn't have known about. I want locals to say, man, I grew up here and I never noticed that. And, th- and that's really one of the things that I love. My, one of my favorite days is scouting day where I have a whole new location. I have to create a program and I'm not doing any writing yet. All I'm doing is finding those cool locations that nobody else would look for and then writing directions to get people there. So that is one of my greatest joys in this business. And do you have a a method or a system for scouting day? It's, you know, once I figured out the treasure area, which is usually four or five, six square blocks, I just walk every inch of it. I just, I, I take, I have a clipboard with, uh, with a notepad and uh, my digital camera and I just walk around uh, every, I walk every inch and looking, uh, looking for things, looking up, looking down, uh, looking around the corner, you know, uh, just uh, being extremely curious and, and, and not assuming, you know, oh, don't walk that way. It's like, no, there might be something great there. So I, ma- I make the extra effort to go walk down that, that one last street, even though I've been walking for four hours and I'm exhausted. Yeah, so a clipboard and, and a pen and paper, so you do it old school. Um, yeah. Ever found yourself in a part of town that you wished you hadn't taken that one extra street over to, to prepare for your, for your hunt? Happens all the time. Because the thing is, sometimes you don't know what area is going to be a good area. Like I was in Cincinnati, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to create a program in Cincinnati. And people said, well, this area is good, and that area is good. And so I said, okay, I'll go walk around it. And I went walking around this one area, and it's like, you know, this is not my favorite area. This is not an area where I'm going to do this program. This, is, you know, this street felt good, but this street doesn't feel safe. So uh, yeah, that, that, that happens uh, occasionally. I'll tell you one thing that happened one time was uh, I uh, was scouting a hunt right after 9-11. Tells you how long I've been in this business. And I, was yeah. in, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was with my clipboard and my pen, and I was walking oh, no. around. And I got close to uh, the federal building and those, the, uh, the, the soldiers were on me so quickly. What are you doing? What are you taking notes? What's this all about? It's like, I, I, swear, <laughs> I swear, I have no uh, ulterior motives. I'm not planning anything. I'm just creating a treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah, it is good. You've got some great stories and I'm sure that you're, uh, that you, you know, that your photos and your videos from these events t- uh, turn out great. That's something else I've noticed about you is you seem to have a real understanding for creating visual moments to either remind people of the experience or to promote it to your next potential client. Yeah. Thank you. We're, we live in a visual medium. And so, uh, and I, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's very important. People want to be able to see what it is before they buy. So you have to be on top of that. Uh, at a certain point, I actually, uh, got this idea that not just visual, but also making a connection because I can't be everywhere. So, of the various locations, treasure hunt locations we have, we have about 150 of them. 
I actually set out to make a short video about each of those locations. And so it's just me for a minute or two saying, hi, today I'm going to talk about Orlando CityWalk. And, and I, I, I shot 150 videos over a few weeks and, and put them up on the page just because I thought uh, that's what the page needed. I couldn't agree more. Uh, one of my best takeaways from a recent course on speaking was video testimonials. No matter oh, yeah. how short they are and, to, you know, preferably immediately before or after you speak. So, uh, but it's, it's the kind of thing that a lot of people, when they're, when they're in the moment of performing the service or starting the business, they just don't have the, they don't have the space in their mind to think about things like getting great photos or videos for, for their next opportunity. So. Well, one thing that is really nice for my business is that uh, when people are doing one of my treasure hunts, we, we have them use a smartphone app. And uh, so the smartphone app is capturing pictures uh, throughout the activity. I get all the photos at the end. And basically I have, you know, sometimes I'll have 40 or 50 or 60 photos of people doing the activity uh, as just as part of the activity. So I don't have to make a special effort. I get the photos. And is that an app uh, you developed, purchased, or is it an app anybody can use? It's an app that anybody can use. I uh, basically use the platform and create my own programs off of it. And then, they're, of course, they're, they're mine. But it's, uh, there are any number of treasure hunt apps that people can use to create their own games. And they don't cost – well, they do cost something, actually. You license it, so you actually do need to pay it per download. But it's, uh, it was a lot easier than me trying to create – uh, something new. Right. Well, I tell yeah. you, I've really, I've really enjoyed getting to sit down and talk to you about, uh, about so, what, what has to be a, at least in my, my ears has to be a unique, a unique way to, uh, to make a living, a unique business idea. And, and, uh, so happy we got to talk about it. And also just really happy that, um, that you found something 30 years ago that you've been able to make a, a not only your career, but your passion. And I think that's a great example to my listeners. Thank you. And, and that's what I would encourage people to do is to, to, to figure out, you know, what you really love doing, figure out what you're really good at. Uh, at least see if there's some way that you can take, you know, combine two or three of those things and then see if there's something that can emerge out of that, that uh, other people might enjoy. And it may not be. It may be that your idiosyncratic interest in something is not marketable. And you have to be willing to let it go. You can't just say, I love it, so everyone else will love it. I've known people who have done that. But you know, if you start there, you're going to have so much more passion than, oh, this sounds like it's practical. I think, I think people will like it. It's very practical. But if you don't have the passion, you're not going to stick through it through those days uh, when uh, money is tight. You're not going to stick with it when you know you need to make 40 phone calls today and you just don't, you don't feel like doing it. So uh, you, you, you got to find where the juice is and at least put it out into the world. Uh, and uh, I, it took me, like I said, over five years to just slowly put it out there because I didn't want to put all my eggs in the basket. But uh, I think that was a good place to start. And uh, fortunately, uh, my job allows me to express my sense of wonder in the world. I can walk around with fresh eyes trying to see, uh, you know, what wonderful things uh, there are in the world. And then I get to share them with people. Yeah. And I, I love that answer. And usually I would ask a, a guest for a final thought, but you've just done that about as well as it can be done. So thank you for coming on. What's your excuse? Y'all can find David Bloom at, um, at, 
D D D L clue. What? Give me the website again. Darn it! Actually, Just escape it's, me. Uh, it's actually D R C L U E dot com. Doctor Clue, kind of abbreviated. D R C L U E dot com. Oh, okay. All right. Bad screen reader. Bad screen reader. <laughs> because for some reason my computer's been saying it with an L, and it's and I don't know where that came from. So. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so at least y'all know where to find him. Um, you can reach out to him and see if possibly uh, one of his new virtual treasure hunts might be a great way for you to, to keep your employees or your staff or your key people connected and positive during these times. So definitely head over to drclue.com and find out about that. And uh, again, thank you for coming on the show and uh, have a good day. Thank you so much, Max. This was a blast. Okay, well, what a great interview. I mean, uh, David Bloom, he, he shared so many different things with us, and some of the times it was deliberate, intentional, like what he said about meditation, mindset, healthy diet, um, exercise, monitoring what you take in as far as your media usage, like uh, not having too much news or not – or not uh, abusing feel-good things like uh, binge-watching Netflix, uh, fiction books, beer, wine, food, etc. So, uh, great thing there. I loved how he talked about curiosity and doing something that he loved and finding a way of turning it into a business. And then also, I love how he noticed that things were starting to change, and he was able to come up with a way to stay in the same business, but modify it a little bit and come up with a different way to offer his services. And I think that that's a great lesson, especially now because of Corona. So many of y'all are having to uh, work from home, go to school from home, have had to cancel vacations, uh, conferences, and other things that you would have loved looking forward to attending. And you're having to figure out new ways to do things. And I personally think that uh, that David's company, especially the virtual treasure hunts, could be a great thing for companies to to do a virtual get together that's fun, that isn't just a another meeting, uh, but it's online, fun, team building, and allows y'all to stay connected even though you aren't going to be able to go into the office and see each other in person every day. So, drclue.com is where you can find him at. Um, I do appreciate his uh, willingness to answer questions and actually be willing to let y'all see him think about some of his answers. Because I do think a lot of people, when they, when they go on podcasts or radio shows or TV, they want so badly to come off like they're the best thing ever at what they do or what they know. And they think it's bad if people see them consider an answer. And of course, the less time you have, the, the more pressure there is to give a quick, pat answer. But sometimes you just have to say, I don't know the answer, or give me a minute, let me think about how I feel about this question. Or you just go, I know you wanted a short, piffy answer, but there isn't a way I can give you a short, piffy answer. I think those are some of the things people need to remember. And I, and I think he did a great job sharing that with us without even thinking about the fact he was sharing that with us. So I really appreciate David coming on the podcast. Uh, glad that we met. It has been like a year, but you know, I've, I've had some, some minor health issues. I've had some conferences to attend. And I also needed 
to find some systems for the booking and the following up and things like that. And I'm going to tell you about a friend of mine in the future. Her name is, uh, is Nora and I can't pronounce her last name right this second. I'm going to look it up and I'll mention it next week because she's very important to me. She's a social media expert and she's the one that got me set up on Calendly. So now people can schedule interview times. They can send me their bio, their photo, their social media links and their website link. And they also get a link from Zoom automatically scheduling their appointment. So I don't even have to go into Zoom and schedule this. So so many things I no longer have to do in order to book people for the podcast and to be prepared to interview them for the podcast. And so Nora helped me out a lot with that. And I will be mentioning her in the future because y'all know me. If somebody does something to help me out, I'm going to tell you about it. All right. Um, my friend, Chip Edwards at createmyvoice.com. You can also find him by saying Alexa, talk, uh, play Create My Voice, or Google, talk to Create My Voice. And he is the expert at creating a voice branding strategy. Now, here's the thing. You remember back in the day when everybody had to have a website and people were claiming website URLs and putting money down on them so that, you know, so nobody else could have that name? Well, the same thing's happening with these voice speaker platforms. The invocation that's what's used to call for your business, your blog, or your podcast online, there's only one of each of those. So if you don't claim yours now, somebody else could claim it, and you may have to come up with a word or, or a name or a phrase for people to find your blog or your podcast that isn't so easy, that doesn't roll off the tongue like Create My Voice or The Blind Blogger or What's Your Excuse? So you definitely need to talk to Chip about a branding strategy. Uh, let him teach you about using the voice speakers to drive people to your website to help you make more sales. And you may even, if you have a podcast, you may even want to have him on your podcast and let him explain this more thoroughly to your audience. That's at createmyvoice.com. Now, if you want to find out how to get yourself on podcasts and radio shows so you can share your story, reach new audiences, and build your passion, then I'm the guy. I've been doing it for seven years for myself, friends, and clients. I've been on well over 200 podcasts myself. Um, my clients have been on dozens of podcast interviews. It's a very fun, energizing way to promote your brand because it really doesn't even feel like work or marketing, in my opinion. It's fun. I feel energized. I look forward to taking my shower, putting my suit clothes on, strapping my headphones on, and pressing record. Uh, woo, yeah. I look forward to it. It's a rush. It is a big thing, and I look forward to it. And I think y'all will enjoy promoting yourselves more by telling your story on podcasts. And you can book me, hire me, that is, to do that for you at theblindblogger.net, theblindblogger.net. I have two options on there. If you've already done podcasts and you want more of them, then I have a package to book you on at least 12 podcasts over the next three months for $1,000. Or if you've never done podcasts or haven't done many of them, you need to learn how to be a good guest as well as add some bookings with that along with feedback and mentorship. Then I have an eight-week plan for that that's also $1,000. And again, you can find all of this on my website at theblindblogger.net. I really do appreciate y'all. So until next time, thank you and take care out there. This is The Blind Blogger. This has been What's Your Excuse? Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away. 
to what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide.